Okay, guys, I am so beyond excited to introduce today's guest. Amazing entrepreneur, business owner. She is a force in every aspect of her life, including real estate, which she has mastered. Public speaker. She just got back from London giving a TED Talk. World traveler. She's been in Spain, heading to Bali soon. She and I met in Peru. I cannot speak highly enough about the integrity, the badassery, and the heart and vision of our guest today. So without further ado, join me in welcoming Diamandia. Di, welcome to the pod. Thank you so much. That was the sweetest intro ever. Aw, <laughs> just spoke from the heart. I just I feel the same about you. That's why I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think for all the listeners, truly, you know, Diamandi and I just on the phone yesterday, we're talking about the level of conversations in which we have. And we know we're talking about podcast recordings, traveling the world, you know, flying to London for an event, you getting back from your TED Talk, writing a book. And I just really want to allow that to be an invitation for anybody listening to really look, really look at the people then which you are having your most frequent and your deepest conversations with, because it will significantly impact the unfolding of your life. Absolutely. We're, so we are a direct reflection of the five closest people in our lives. Like I can't, I can't say that enough. The people that you communicate with on a daily basis, is, it's going to determine how you show up in your life. And so you have to be very conscious about who you let in your circle and, and making sure that there's you know, half of the five are people that are your mentor in mentorship positions so that you have something to grow into or someone to show you or someone to, you know, for you to look up to. It's really, really important. And I think it's really funny how our friendship kind of happened. Yeah. Tell them, Dee. (laughs) (laughs) I, I have been on this journey um, dealing with a suicide uh, that happened about six years ago. And in that process of, of that experience and learning from that experience and, and trying to figure out what my life was going to be after that experience, I traveled to Peru. And in that uh, journey, I met a group of people and you don't really know what's going to happen on those types of trips. And I was kind of pushed really outside of my comfort zone. And this suicide was a thing that I had, you know, unconsciously really wanted to like never talk about. I really wanted to get my life back to where it was before, or, you know, I just needed to become who, who I was before it, you know, instead of realizing I was never going to be that person again. And so I, I just wanted to like tuck it and like push it away and just pretend it never happened and like carry on and like mm-hmm. put, you know, Humpty Dumpty back together, but not really address what the issue was. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't work. <laughs> no, it does not work. So in this one trip to Peru, I was pushed out of my comfort zone and it became clear to me that I, well, it didn't become clear to me. I was shoved and pushed mm-hmm. by my friends who saw me and saw, you know, how I sh- showed up in different areas of my life. They really connected the dots for me and they really convinced me that I needed to start speaking about it. And one of those people is James Silvis, and uh, who is an unbelievable coach, mindset specialist, and he has an unbelievable podcast, a platform, and he convinced me to do it. 
Um, and when I say convinced, he just told me I was doing it multiple times until I gave in and I did it. And I, w I didn't expect anyone to listen to it. And it, it was fire, I guess it, it like blew up and my life changed very dramatically after that one podcast episode, I was like in the forefront of speaking about suicide and trauma and resilience. And I didn't even realize kind of what was happening when it was happening and I wasn't ready for it mm -hmm. and we're never ready for anything. So while I was in the space of, of the response from this podcast episode, I was on calls you know, every hour on the hour for about two and a half weeks straight from like 7 a.m. to 10 p.m. I was on the on the phone with people, people I didn't know, people who reached out to me on Instagram, people that were, you know, stalked me and found my email address, like just strangers. And some people I, that I didn't know that I hadn't talked to since I was in junior high school or, you know, just people came out of the woodwork. And it really became clear to me that like this wasn't about me anymore but I didn't understand or know how to hold that type of space energetically. And especially dealing with my own trauma and dealing with that sensitivity to that pain. This was my first experience of this outwardly. Other than talking to like a couple people at a time, this was like the first time I really, really talked about it. And it's funny because I was so worried about the actual podcast. I didn't even think about the response. Yeah. You know, I was just like, it was like me talking to a friend and that was it. I didn't realize other people were listening. Yeah. <laughs> a little minor detail there. Yeah. So like when that happened, I reached out to a mutual friend of ours, Brian, who, you know, had been one of the people that had been pushing me to step into this space since Peru. And I was like, I can't do this. Like I changed my mind. I can't speak about this. I I feel like I'm a therapist. I, I feel like I'm holding so much space. I don't like, I didn't know how to like absorb that energy from people and then like release. I was just absorbing and absorbing and absorbing. And it like became so heavy. And this is my first one. And I, it just, it was like, I can't do this. Like I got really scared. And Brian suggested that I had a conversation with this girl, Melissa. That's me. <laughs> And so he randomly connected us and we had a phone conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and Melissa and I talked, strangers, didn't, she didn't know anything about me except I was a friend of Brian's and she gave me some amazing advice. And that was it. And that was the end of our conversation. And then we had texted occasionally, yeah, like once or twice. Yeah. And that was it. You know, we didn't, yeah. we didn't communicate after that. Well, we thought that was it. <laughs> So if you fast forward this story to two years to the date, <laughs> yeah, I go back to Peru because, you know, I decide that this whole journey has been now I've been two years into the cycle of talking about this trauma, resilience, stepping into different levels of my life. And I had grown so much. It was like I was shot out of a cannon. And a lot of that, a lot of where I am now has everything to do with that initial trip to Peru. Mm -hmm. And so it was about me going back to pay homage to what, what that had created within me, give back to the container that I was part of in the first place. And then also like check myself one more time. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't know anyone really that's in this group and I show up to Peru again and I walk in and 
I walk into my hotel room and who is my roommate? Me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we had no idea. And then we just sat in that room for like four hours and downloaded, like literally went through everything that happened for both of us in the past two years where like, it was like the best catch up ever. It was so divine and amazing that we were roommates. And now we have one of the greatest friendship friendships I've ever had and so grateful for you. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just really funny how people show up in your life and then come back into your life and how important that was for you and for me. So true. And you, I mean, there's so much wisdom within just that story. And I think one choosing to do the work or get outside of your comfort zone, right? Choosing and opting into your growth and your healing, which is something you did that sparked all this. But I want to let the listeners know on the flip side, what my experience was, because when I had talked to you, Diamandia, uh, two years prior, you were understandably in a state of trauma. I was in my shit. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. (laughs) And now you, you articulate it so eloquently and easily, but the truth is like your, you know, your fiance had committed suicide, right? Yeah. The day that he proposed to me, which was also Christmas day while we were away on vacation. And you discovered his body. So you're in serious trauma. And I know we'll have, you're going to talk about that a little bit more and like kind of the choices that you made from that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when we first spoke, understandably you're in your shit, as you said, I remember not really being able to have a conversation, like a phone call, you know, like we did, it was a good one. It was fine, but it was like, I could just feel, I could feel your trauma and the anxiety and all of that stuff. And I know it so well because my own great journey. And so I could identify with what you were going through in our own ways, right? We, we all have different journeys, but uh, the energetics of it. Then two years later, fast forward to Peru and I'm just sitting there laying in my bed and my quote unquote random roommate, universe, nothing random, right? Walks in you and you were just this calm, grounded, confident, present, graceful version of you. And I was like, what did you do? (laughs) Right. And that's kind of, I remember we talked, we did, we talked for like four hours and we laughed and we said, well, this is our first night here. We, I think we got everything we came for. Like, we're good. We can leave now. (laughs) Little did we know. (laughs) Yeah. Little did we know. We had a lot more coming our way, but you know, I just want to acknowledge and celebrate. Like if you're listening to this podcast, you're committed to doing the work period. That's why you're here. And I want you to know, we don't always see progress photos of ourselves when we're doing the work, right? It's not like physical fitness, but I was able to witness over time, just this massive progress photo. And it inspired the hell out of me of like, how do I elevate and level up the amount of work that I'm doing? Because what Diamandia just sourced and what she's just created and cultivated within herself and the results in her life is incredibly inspiring and amazing. And she's also showing that it's possible. And I want that too. So, yeah. So I just want to, I want to let people kind of hear the versions of you I saw. And then also, you know, always looking for these little nuggets, but doing the work is so selfless. The way that you can show up for people and the way in which you can inspire people if they choose to go along on the journey with you. So. And it's about us, like, listen, like my, 
One of the main factors that happened to me in Peru trip one was it's not about me. Like that, me understanding that like coming and speaking about suicide and speaking about trauma and speaking about resilience and all of these things that we don't want to talk about was helping other people. Mm-hmm. It was greatly about me in a service position. And that mm-hmm. got me through a lot of my own shit, a lot of my own fears, a lot of my own blocks, a lot of my own insecurities, Mm -hmm. because I could say like, listen, I can either not get on the stage and not impact these millions of people, or I can work through this fear of people judging me, which is preventing me, literally a fear of judgment from other human beings would prevent me from impacting millions of people. And when you look at it from like that scale of millions of people's lives could possibly change because I'm, if I move through this fear, that fear becomes very insignificant. And it, if we talk about it from that perspective where it's not about us, because God forbid we actually do anything for ourselves. Yeah, now, I know. God forbid society. We take that. then we can start stepping through some of this fear, but really like I'm servicing other humans. I'm also servicing myself. Mm -hmm. That right there is a massive, massive shift for me personally, because I have not ever been able to accept my own greatness or acknowledge like what I have accomplished. Mm. And even like Melissa, you were with me when I have accomplished one of like the biggest real estate deals I have to date. Yes. And you asked me, are we going to go celebrate? And I said to you, celebrate what? Yeah, I know. (laughs) I know. You understand what you just did. That's not normal. And in my brain, I couldn't accept that level that I was playing on. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. it's the whole shift of like, if we start thinking about servicing other people, we actually move through our pain as opposed to doing things for ourselves. Oh, So powerful. So powerful. You know, and one of the things that you talked about, you know, and guys, I will have all of Diamandia's information available for you. So you will definitely have access to her TED talk and all of the magic she is creating. But, you know, I have the privilege of. It is absolutely fucking crazy to think about (laughs) the fact that I did a TED talk. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No big deal. Yeah. A week ago. Yeah. Yeah. That is insane. Yeah. Yeah. You rocked it too. And I had the privilege of getting to hear a lot of, you know, your preparation and, and your speech, right? It's really storytelling, but you sharing your story and something that you unpacked in that Ted talk that I think is really powerful and could be really supportive for people listening is the, the suicide, right? Your fiance's suicide held a mirror to things in your life that were broken, that were outside of that. Mm-hmm. And you went on a mission to kind of clean house. And instead of being in a place of understandable victim, right? Which would have been, under, that could have been the path that you took, right? How could this happen to me? And you could have stayed in that space for your life. And people would have, you know, rubbed your back and said, it's okay, you poor thing. You took such a level of ownership and personal responsibility for everything that wasn't broken in your life. And I just would love any thoughts you have on that or what that experience was like um, and how maybe you do that on a micro level daily now. (laughs) 
a micro level. That's yeah. <laughs> well, it was a pretty macro level for you to do it through those conditions. So relative to I was that, forced. You know. I was forced. It wasn't, I didn't sign up for that. Mm. And I really think about it from that perspective of, listen, I, I, so just to give a little bit more background, when, when the suicide happened, I was, became suicidal personally. Um, and I was dealing with a lot of mental health issues and I was not in a good space and I was leveled completely, like mentally, physically, emotionally, financially. Like I went from like being a very high achieving, performing person working for the UFC in Las Vegas, living in Las Vegas strip to being diagnosed schizophrenic, suicidal, like just out of my, just broken. I was broken. And that suicide was the match on the powder keg. Mm-hmm. And that's really what that was about. That was everything that had been going on in my life, what had been a repetition of the patterns from my childhood, like all of us. Okay. Mm-hmm. We are direct reflections of our, of what happens in childhood. And when then we go on and repeat those patterns throughout our life in different scales and different volumes. And that's where we end up. Everything comes from childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. And so I had gotten to the space and when that suicide happened, like I got so leveled that I went in to do the work on the suicide. And thankfully I had an amazing therapist who asked me about my parents. And I remember wanting to jump across the table and choke her because Mm. I was so furious. Now I was just furious at everything at this point in my life. Like I was just so angry with the fact that I was here. And when she'd said that to me, I was like, why aren't we discussing the elephant in the room here that I came here to work on the suicide? I don't want to talk about mommy and daddy. Yeah. And she <laughs> back <was> off. <laughs> literally back off. Like this doesn't have anything to do with it. And she literally looked at me deadpan and said, that's what you don't understand. This has everything to do with your childhood and your relationship with your mother and your father. This has nothing to do with the suicide. Mm. And that hit me like, like a knife. It went right mm. into my soul. And that was a moment in time where I realized that I was never getting out of therapy <laughs> ever. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I had gone in there even being broken and, you know, thinking about having suicidal thoughts. I was like, okay, how long is this going to take? Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And when that happened, we were a couple months in and I was like, I'm never leaving here. (laughs) (laughs) You are stuck with me for life. (laughs) And so I had, you know, and I look at the suicide as a beautiful opportunity because yes, it broke me, but like I had the ability to go in and do the work there. I don't know if I would have ever done that work. I don't know if I would have chosen to do that. Mm. but I was forced to, and I had to make that decision. And that decision was very early on. And it was in like, in my gut that I knew I had a choice. Mm-hmm. And that choice was, this can either level me. This could be my crutch. This could be the thing that is the excuse of why I don't do anything else with my life or anything at all. You know, I had literally been thinking about just like putting on my stuff in a shopping cart yeah. and like being like, 
you just, I was just in this place of like despair. And so, and I didn't see a way out. And so, but I knew like deep down that there was more for me. I just knew in my gut. And so I was fighting, wanting to give up with the fact that I knew there was more for me. Yeah. And so I, I just kind of had to go in and do it. And I just had to deal with, with my childhood and with my parents and really look at and take ownership for my behavior and what I had created and how I was showing up and the patterns that I was creating and, Mm -hmm. and understand why I was doing those things, not that I was just doing them, but why I was doing them. Well, I think, thank you for sharing that. And I think that's so important because the truth is when we don't understand what motivates or drives behaviors and habits, it's almost impossible to shift out of them. Right. And you know, I can relate very much in terms of, you know, um, when I lost Layden, like I didn't want to live. And then I actually didn't want to take responsibility for my grief. Like, wait, I have to actually like take ownership of this now. Like, are you kidding? And I do, I want to honor you. I mean, you keep saying I was forced to, and I have to, and I'm just going to hold the line that you chose to. I chose to. You chose chose to. You guys noticing that she doesn't like to take credit. I'm just saying. Yeah. (laughs) I do not like taking credit. (laughs) And, um, but you chose to, and because you made that choice, you change your life and you're changing the lives of so many others. So if, you know, what advice would you give to somebody who's navigating some type of trauma, heartache challenge it could be of any level, you know, I think this is very important guys. You know, those of you listening, we don't, we don't compare or rank one trauma to another. This isn't like a trauma pissing match of who's had the worst trauma. Okay. We're not going to fall into that. Um, But whatever someone's going through in their lives, maybe it's a divorce, maybe it's a change of identity, a loss of sense of self, maybe someone died, maybe, you know, it could be a a lot of different things. What advice would you give to someone in terms of like, maybe what you needed to hear or what supported you in making that transition of stepping into taking ownership of it, even when it's really hard? I had to get a third party objective human being in, in the mix because my network of humans looked at me like I was broken. I was broken. Mm -hmm. And so they were all just very scared. They were worried to say the right thing to me because I might do something, you know? And so I would say that a very important factor in this equation, if you're, if you're looking to transition or do more work is getting some, a third party, getting a therapist involved and getting a therapist involved is stable enough to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Snaps of that. Yes. Tell you what you think, what they think you need to hear. That is a rare breed. Mm-hmm. You need honesty. You need someone that like you feel comfortable, confident with, but it's going to tell you when you are like way out of line and call mm-hmm. you on your behavior. And mm-hmm. you have to respect that person enough to like absorb that information from them and really look at your behavior. Mm-hmm. And then I think a really, really critical part of this, of this process is listening to and acknowledging the story that you are telling yourself. Mm-hmm. That Can you is- elaborate on that, Dee, for listeners? Or maybe that's not something that they're, that's even crossed their mind yet. So we all tell ourselves these stories so that we get away with our behavior. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like, well, I did this because that person did this, or I did this because 
this happened to me. Mm-hmm. We all have these like narratives that are going on in our head that either deflect our responsibility, put our responsibility onto an, something that has happened to us. Mm-hmm. There's never, I mean, there's a very few amount of people that actually have the internal narrative that say like, I was being selfish or I'm afraid of being alone or I don't want to be abandoned or someone really hurt me. So therefore I'm pushing people away or I'm afraid of being hurt or whatever it is. That internal trauma narrative is actually like what is happening. That's directing the party. That subconscious narrative of whatever that is, is actually running your life. Mm -hmm. And we don't ever get to the narrative. We deflect the narrative onto other people. So can we actually be honest about the story that we're telling ourselves? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm afraid. How about that? I'm afraid of being vulnerable. I'm afraid of people judging me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it takes a lot more courage to stand in those truths mm-hmm. than to point to the other person doing this or that or not having enough time or not having the finances or it will get better when or yeah. so-and-so's actions are what's driving my behavior and just to point to all the things, but truly to have the courage to stand in it. But why? Right. But like, why are we afraid of other people seeing our shit. Like we all, every single human being in this world has their shit. None of us are perfect. None of us, like there's no one I know that doesn't have some kind of garbage. And like the more successful you get, the more garbage you're like carrying around with you. Cause it's usually what got you to that level of success. Mm-hmm. And, but we all can't talk about it. It's like this dark, like thing that we have to hide. And I I just don't believe that anymore. And I think the more that we have these types of conversations, the more that we talk about the things that hurt us or that we're afraid of, or that run our narratives or that make us insecure or we're afraid of the less that they own us, the less power they have over us because they're part of our conversations. Yeah. 100%. When things are in hiding, and we're not talking about them. They have such a subconscious power over us, yeah. right? They are driving so much of our day-to-day. So, you know, for anyone listening, just looking at what are the habits or the patterns that are not serving me well, that I don't want my life anymore. And then to Diamandia's point, like, well, what are the stories that you're attaching to those things that are showing up in your life? And then what's the real truth, right? What's underneath that? Yeah. And for women, like easiest starting point is what is your relationship with men? Mm -hmm. Let's look at your ex-boyfriends and then men in the same thing. Let's look at the, like your ex-girlfriends, where are the patterns there? That's literally the easiest way to go. If you're trying to like make change, look at that because that's a direct reflection of your choices of the Mm -hmm. people that you allow in your life and a direct reflection of your childhood. So like, if you're looking for an easy starting point there, (laughs) yeah. I love that. So tangible. Everyone's running and sprinting to write down their, <laughs> their ex-partner list. Uh, no, it, and or current partner, right? Um, it's so true. And it's not an issue of like, you know, the mommy or daddy issues, right? It's, it's a result that comes from our experiences and the way in which we learn to relate energetically yeah. to ourselves and to our closest people of safety, which are our parents. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, parents wrote the narrative. Like, yeah, some of it's beautiful, some of it's not beautiful, but whether we like it or not, they handed things down to us. And I talk about this really significantly in the in the TED talk is, you know, I look at generational stuff, generational shame. I looked at it from that perspective as a toolbox that we have been given as a child. Yeah. Sometimes, most of the time, we don't know how to use the tools that we've been given until we hit rock bottom. Mm -hmm. And then we have to figure out how to use them. And we usually realize that they're not ours. They were given to us. Right. And we're not familiar with them, but we're carrying them around with us. Yeah, it's like we're handed a toolbox of tools that may not even work for us. And we get to purge that toolbox and find, source, create, develop new tools that get to be brought in that box with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so powerful. So Dee, I I mean, she referenced, um, Dee, you just referenced your um, TED Talk on, you know, your story, but really diving into generational shame, which that really resonated with me. And I can't wait for everyone listening here to be able to go deeper on generational shame, right? And listening to that TED talk. Also, she's rocking some pretty amazing pants, just saying. (laughs) (laughs) But, and you shared, you know, you were diagnosed schizophrenic, you were suicidal, you were thinking about living out of like a shop right cart on the streets, right? Mm -hmm. Um, All of these things. And that's your truth. That's your truth. But what I think is really powerful is for listeners to be able to see what I saw through you and possibility and where you're at now and how you've collapsed that in such a quick amount of time. And to your credit, because you chose to do the work, you got third parties involved, multiple, right? You didn't just, yeah, you didn't just get one therapist and say, that's enough. You went and you found other communities and coaches and people to just hold you high, right? Tell people where you're at now. (laughs) What's going on in your life? Uh, I'm a real estate developer and I am a international TEDx speaker. And I also do one-on-one coaching with clients. Yes, you do. With a massive project going on right now in your real estate development. That's like world changing, community changing. Yeah, it's pretty pretty insane. So I would say that if we're looking at my growth from like a timeline, you know, of the suicide, the first couple of years were me trying to like figure it out and like function like how do i function how do i provide food for myself make money and then how do i have a roof over my head that was literally it i also tried to date again which did not end well because i was not like really really clear with myself yet at all so i was moving from a space of lack and i was moving from a a space of, 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 of having a partner define me and provide me with happiness as opposed to me providing it for myself. Um, I just wasn't far enough along with my journey to invite another partner in. And so it blew up. And then we get to the landmark of Peru trip number one. And that really, I just knew in my gut And this is something that I'm learning, like this intuitive feeling that I've had. I've ignored it multiple times in my life. And now I will never ignore it because it is it is dead on, dead on correct. And so I just knew with Peru that it was time. 
like, that's all I could say is it was time. And Brandon had been trying to get me to go for years. And I kept saying no and pushing it back and creating a story. And I just knew that it was time. And when I went on that trip, it rocked me. Mm-hmm. It like rocked me. I mean, you understand completely, but I don't know. Oh, yes. You understand, but it leveled it. It like took me into the shame that I had been working through. Like I had been working through it on the surface. I'd been working through it in like the physical, tangible world that we, the matrix that we live in. I've been functioning in it. Mm-hmm. I had I'd become functioning again. Yep. And I had, I had got myself back financially a little bit. I was making, you know, six figures again. And I, I landed some really big contracts and venture capital. And I, so I was like kind of vibrating almost where I was before, you know, mm-hmm. and it was really felt like the universe, like threw me a bone with that. Like, here you go. But when, when Peru happened, it was like, it was like everything was ripped open again. And I went under the hood mm-hmm. of like that little piece that was like under the catalytic converter that I was never going to get to. And I ripped that open mm-hmm. and that like rocked me. And I came back from that trip and I didn't know what, like, I was like, okay, like I really, really got clear in my like soup. Cause that's how I communicated. I felt like after per trip one, as I came back as like pureed soup. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Literally put me in a blender. That's <laughs> yeah, what I was. And I came back and I had like a stability in my life, but I was like, okay, I did James's podcast that shot me out of a cannon. I was yeah. unsure how to navigate in there. Yep. I knew that I knew that I was very clear with my intention. Mm-hmm. Like I knew two things were going to happen. I was going to start a real estate investment company. And also I was going to get on stage and speak about trauma. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how I was going to do any of those things, but I knew that's what I was doing. Real estate was going to fuel me financially mm-hmm. so that I would never have to worry about money from like a scarcity perspective. And I could live and do this passion of empowering other people without having to worry about scraping for cash. Mm-hmm. It's very important to me that there's financial abundance in my world from how I grew up. So I wanted that to be very, very clear. And I had a, a history with real estate and I had been flipping houses and buying multifamily since I was 26. So 10 years later, I had moved away from real estate or I, I didn't say I moved away from it. I had almost purchased a couple more homes. I had dabbled in it, but I wasn't taking full 100% ownership of working in it hundred percent of the time. Mm. And it was really because I didn't think I was worthy of it, but I didn't even know that then yeah. I did not understand any of that. Yeah. So when I came back from that trip, it was like, these are the two lanes that I'm creating. And I tried to do that. And it was like, I was really, really clear. I got my real estate license already. So I was going to become a broker. And then I was going to find like investment deals. I was going to flip houses and that was it. And then I was going to build off of that. And so that's what happened. But one thing happened in this process, COVID hit. And it literally was like, I'm getting on stages. Yeah. Wait, no, I'm not. Right. (laughs) Right. So that just switched a little bit. It was just turned, you know, I just got on podcasts. Everyone was doing podcasts. And like, yeah. as soon as James's went viral, like 
I was on a television show to speak about mental health. Like the whole world just kind of exploded in front of me. And I was like, I couldn't be more clear that I had to do this, but it was really, really hard for me to do it. Mm-hmm. Every part of it. Like I was like, yes, I have to do this, but like everything, all the resistance came in from within me. I pushed back on it. I would literally, I went through so much not wanting to step into it, even though I knew I was stepping into it, yep. that I was self-sabotaging. Like I literally yep. did everything I could to fail at the thing I knew I was destined to do because I was petrified of being seen and taking full ownership of it. So much in there, you know, and I think, you know, as we're, you know, going through the story and for the listeners, just really looking at how worthiness shows up for you, self-sabotage and all of these things. Though I, I also think another really powerful point that you hit was this is not doing the work is not um, like a linear or straight trajectory where you just keep going up, up, up. Like you go up and you fall back down and then you go up and you fall back down. And, um, you, you know, and, teeth, you get knocked over. Yeah. Knocked and that's over. part of it. <laughs> and knowing that everything that's happening is happening for you. It's yeah. happening for you to learn if you choose it. Right. And every new challenge, every new twist is for you if you choose it. And you know, I think something else that you said that was really powerful was like, uh, these things were kind of thrown at you, right? Opportunities, but truly, I think if we really stand in the truth, like you source them, nothing was handed to you, you know, no. you chose to create that. And that's something I really want to drive home today, you know, and that nothing is handed to us, but everything is available to us. Everything is available. Anything is available. Like there is no limit to what you can create. Mm. And it is basically based on what you feel you're worthy of receiving. Yes. And once you acknowledge that within yourself, it the floodgates will open for you. It is hard to even accept them or even see the opportunities that are being provided to you until you understand that you're actually worthy of them. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, you guys, I cannot emphasize enough the value of doing work, um, doing the work and surrounding yourself with level 10 friendships and relationships, right. Of opting in, choosing in, getting that as Diamandia said, qualified third party, right. And continuing to own and stand in not only personal responsibility, but your worthiness. Yeah. Diamante, thank you so much for coming on. I know that this is like one of many because we have so many topics we want to jam on. Any final advice you'd like to leave our listeners with and then let them know where they can find you? Just choose you. Like Mm -hmm. you have literally one shot at this life and you can, you can literally spend that whole, your whole life saying I could have, or you can just go do the thing. Mm. Just do the damn thing. Do the thing. Just do it. Like it's going to be scary. It's going to make you uncomfortable. You might throw up. Who cares? Just go do the thing. Like the last thing you ever want to do is be like laying on your deathbed saying, I wish I had Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. your life would have looked totally different if you had shown up for yourself. Mm -hmm. So powerful. All right. Where can they get more of your magic and goodness? Um, I think the safest place right now is probably Instagram, um, at Diamandia with an A and, um, TikTok Diamandia Lingos. Amazing. All right, Dee, thank you so much. You guys, thanks for tuning in and hope that you wrote down a number 
of those nuggets and takeaways. <laughs> Feel free to send me pictures of your past relationships and lessons you've learned. <laughs> and, um, you know, congratulations on choosing you. We'll talk soon. Thank you.